This is the Skeptic Squared Podcast. A safe place to make light of sacred things. My name is Matt. And I'm Corinne. And in this program, we will be discussing current events related to religion, atheism, and skepticism. Our goal is not to insult believers, although that will probably happen from time to time, but rather to share our point of view on these topics in a way which will benefit and entertain others. Or maybe we just want to stroke our own egos. You decide. Welcome to the Skeptic Squared podcast. Today is Sunday, April 17th, 2016, and with me is my wife, Corinne. Hello. And my sister, Megan, is joining us once again. Hi. Hello. How are you doing, Megan? Good. It's been a, a, a little while since we've had you on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, how you been? I've been good. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been being good? <laughs> I don't know. No. Best not to talk about it. <laughs> So, uh, yesterday, we decided to get together and go down to uh, downtown Salt Lake City, which is, as everybody knows, Mormon headquarters. And we went around Temple Square, and we went to the Church History Museum, we went to the Conference Center, Uh, we just did all of, like, the tourist spots. We were Mormons for a day again. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't done it since leaving the church, um, I don't think, um... Megan, you were there a couple months ago with mm-hmm. mom. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can talk about some of the differences um, between this trip yesterday and when you went with mom. But we can get into that later. Just kind of keep that in mind. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Corinne, when was, the, when was the last time you went? Um, it's been quite a while since I went to the visitor center. Yeah. Usually the only time we would do that is if we had like family from out of town coming in. Mm-hmm. And usually it was the ones that weren't LDS that we would take there. Um, yeah, it's been quite a while. I think the last time I went to the Church History Museum, I was probably in middle school. Maybe 10th grade. Oh, wow. So it's been a while. It's been quite a while, yeah. yeah. I mean, the most, like, mm-hmm. the last time I was actually on Temple Square was probably just a few years ago doing the Temple Lights. But, mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. So that's, your family likes doing the Temple Lights at Christmas? Uh, sometimes it depends, honestly. My mm-hmm. mom doesn't like being cold, so sometimes we <laughs> just don't do it because it's really cold. <laughs> My mom, uh, we grew up in Seattle, mm-hmm. um, but she always talked about how she wished that she she lived in Salt Lake City mm-hmm. or in Utah right. so that she could go to church stuff mm-hmm. more. Um, so she always would drag us to um, the, the church sites um, whenever she could, like right. our family vacations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the one site that we didn't go to um, yesterday, the the Beehive House, yeah. my mom dragged us to when I was probably early teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember getting the uh, the really bad Pioneer candy, just super bitter. You didn't just bitter. like the... Uh, I didn't like it. Wait, did you get the lemon drop or did you get the root beer candy? I think it was the root beer one. Oh, yeah, that one's not good. Yeah. The just, lemon drops are really good. I, I can see that. It's, it's hard to mess mess up lemon drops. Yeah, yeah. Mostly just lemons and sugar. Fine coating of sugar. Oh. Right, but it was like <laughs> it was super bitter. The one that I got and just didn't taste yeah, good. Yeah, you didn't get the right <laughs> one. I think I was trying to be adventurous. Because everyone else probably got the lemon drop, and you decided to be the odd man out. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, sounds like something I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so uh, let's talk about what we saw yesterday. So first we went to the visitor center, and it turns out that there's actually two visitor centers, mm-hmm. um, which we weren't entirely sure of until after we got through the first one, and we're like, wait, where was all this Sp- stuff? We're Space Jesus. We're Space Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's what tipped us off. <laughs> right. It's like, I swear there's a Space Jesus around here somewhere. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever actually been in that visitor center. The little one? To be honest, yeah. I don't know that I have either. That's why it felt so unfamiliar to me. Yeah. Well, it, I don't know. If It had the, the familiar feel to it. But, but most church things do. Right. Like it just looked like they had remodeled it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It just looked like they had remodeled it and like changed the displays and stuff. So it, it didn't register immediately that it's, this was a new place. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did, uh, what did we see in that visitor center? Megan, what did you see? I'm trying to remember. It was the first one. The, uh, the, the sister missionary um. greeted us. Oh, I do remember how we mentioned look, looking at that picture and how that was at the the beginning that went from birth to death and how we thought that it looked oh. weird because it was yeah. like from reading one, from right to, to left. left. Instead of left to right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how uh, it made the guy just look very uh, hometowny. Did you notice that? Like the one where he had his own family. Um, they were like, he was holding like a big plow or something yeah, over his like shoulder. Pioneer-esque. Yeah, it was like very pioneery, mm-hmm. like farm, farmhand kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then in the one where he's like burying his wife is just very sullen, mm-hmm. very sad, you know. Um, and then like the rest of it was all like these little displays of like uh, the oversized dollhouses, mm-hmm. you know, and they mm-hmm. had like like little TVs in the windows that, that had play the Mormon commercials. Yeah. The Mormon mm-hmm. commercials. Like what is a family? How can you have a good family? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like what are, what are things to teach your children? Right. Like very generic kind of stuff. They had a couple booths of, uh, let's see, it was Thomas S. Monson. I think in that one, right? Like they had one of him being a little bit younger. Um, and then they had a bunch of pioneer stuff, stuff on like, uh, oh, oh. You, you know You're I'm talking, talking about? about the little like sitting areas. Yeah, like yeah. one of them was just Thomas S. Monson, who was like who's the prophet right now. Um, and then they had another one that was family oriented. They were both family oriented. Mm-hmm. That whole first part was all family oriented. Right, and they had that that hashtag Hallelujah. Uh-huh. That was a big thing over Easter. Um, which, if if you get the opportunity to go look up the. Uh, the video on YouTube of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing Hallelujah, mm-hmm. where they teleconference a bunch of Mormons in. And it's, it's just kind of ridiculous, I and, think. And then singing <laughs> to their computers? Yeah. It's like a, a giant Skype conference call. And uh, yeah, just kind of silly. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, they had the cool display of the inside of the Salt Lake Temple, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which was the temple that I actually went through the first time for my endowment. So it was kind of interesting to see. Before your mission? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just before my mission. Because it, it's the one, it's one of the few that still has the live ceremony mm-hmm. as opposed to like the video that they show during the endowment ceremony. Um, so you have, uh, you know, a guy whose job it is to dress up in a black suit. He's the only guy in the temple that has a black suit on. And he plays Satan for the entire ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> And it, as the, the guy that they had do it when I went through was very tall, very slim, um, looked kind of kind of slinky, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
kind of funny. Um, any other displays in there that uh, stood out to you guys? No. It was all pretty cliche Mormon display. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and as we were walking out, um, I asked, d- uh, like, does this help you understand Mormonism any better? <laughs> you asked after the second. Oh, was that after the second one? Yeah. Yeah. I remember, yeah. One thing, though, is like, a lot, I feel like the displays that Mormons mm-hmm. put out are very geared towards children or they're like really juvenile. Do you ever feel that way? Absolutely. It's like, mm-hmm. I felt like through the entire, like mm-hmm. both visitor centers, everything is like very childlike. And I think mm-hmm. it's their way of like, it's for investigators, mm-hmm. but you still don't learn anything. I don't know. Yeah. It's just. Well, yeah, that, that was a comment. Milk that... before meat. They're giving, they're giving baby bottles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, wasn't it you, Megan, that, that pointed out, um, when we got to the arts display, the art exhibit at the at museum, the very end. yeah, mm-hmm. towards the end of the museum, um, there was one picture. Was it a picture or like, I think it was like a, a, a window, one of those stained glass window displays or whatever. But it had the chart of the the flow chart of oh, the yeah, uh, plan, plan of, of happiness mm-hmm. or plan of salvation or whatever. Like that's like the only place in all of this, uh-huh. this the whole thing that had the plan of salvation. You know, which is like. Mm-hmm. The core of Mormonism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and it was—it wasn't even part of the museum or any of the formal displays. A, yeah. yeah, it was part of the the art, the, um, the art contest. Show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but that is very true. Yeah, it's like everything else. Um, to me, seemed like they were trying to keep it very generic, mm-hmm. like they were trying to keep it so that it was consistent with more mainstream Christianity, mm-hmm. um, without. Like really, uh, well, it's like in the the video, right? They had the video of Meet the Mormons, mm-hmm. um, like that was the big v- show that they were doing at the uh, was the Joseph Smith Mo- Memorial Building or whatever. We decided not to go to yeah. it, but we watched it this morning. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> and it was it was all just an infomercial, and it was all about showing the commonality between Mormonism and mainstream mainstream Christianity. Like they said a couple of times that it, that they don't want to focus on the differences they wanted to find common ground. Mm. Like there was the the black bishop and his sisters like the, uh, a, Baptist. a Baptist and whenever they talk together he always tries to find common ground with her. Mm. Um, you know, and and so as if that's if that's the approach that they seem to be taking, which it is what it seems to be what they seem to be taking. Um, like you don't really get real Mormon doctrine mm-hmm. um, with that approach. Like they seem to be changing their tune or avoiding um, a lot of their history and a lot of their doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the impression that I got anyway. Well, even like now that I'm thinking about it, all of the art displays, they were all stories from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like there was no Book of Mormon like at all. Yeah. I just thought about that. Yeah. Well, the, the, theme, the theme was tell me stories of Jesus right. or whatever but the phrase was. But for obvious reasons. Right. Yeah. But do they have any displays of like Jesus coming to America, like in third Nephi in the book of Mormon? There might've been one or two, but there were, there were a lot, there were a couple of the woman at the well, there was the good Samaritan. They, they even had the 10 virgins, uh, from the Bible. Um, a lot of like portraits of Jesus doing miracles and stuff. The, mm-hmm. the woman with the issue of blood, the lepers, the lepers, mm-hmm. um, the one where all yeah. the devils come out and pigs. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are legion for we are many. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so we went to 
the first visitor center, which was really small, they had a couple of displays on like how they built the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, not a whole lot to see there, and not a whole lot of uh, Mormon doctrine. Um, very bland history, really. Yeah. Then we went to the other visitor center, which was a lot bigger. They had the big display, the, the model of... Uh, ancient Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which took us a while to figure out how it actually worked. (laughs) And not all of it worked. That was the main problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then there was Space Jesus. Mm -hmm. Megan, you want to uh, describe what Space Jesus is? Describe what it is? Yes. It's just a huge statue of Jesus in the middle of a big room with, like, the background is just the heavens all around him. Mm -hmm. And celestial bodies and he just has his arms out and people are just sitting in pews in front of him and praying yeah that was that, <laughs> that was, was different weird. that was weird because yeah. because when we went there like there were probably i don't know 20 or so people sitting on the chairs mm-hmm. that, like just looking at the christus mm-hmm. which is normal like that's mm-hmm. that's fine but then when we were leaving that display well it was when we hadn't left yet did she start before she, then yeah that's when she went up and Touched. I didn't see it until we were leaving. Oh, no. But, it started just before we disappeared and walked around and uh-huh. looked at all the paintings. Okay. But this lady, like, was kneeled down in front of Jesus, the statue of Jesus, praying. Mm-hmm. And it was just super uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable mm-hmm. by it. And I wasn't like, uncomfortable. I just felt awkward for her sons that were there uh-huh, sitting her in the kids. back. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, everybody's, like, kind of, like just watching her do this and right like well it was really weird because that those group of people like i think were obviously together they were all there together they had listened Mm -hmm. to the overhead like in spanish or whatever and that's Mm -hmm. when the lady came in and she walked up to the christus and like put her hand on it and just like looked up like for like two minutes straight she just stood there and everyone else is just like watching this happen it's like they're trying to have their moment and she's like interrupting their moment by Uh like touching the statue or whatever yeah, and then yeah, when we came back, she was knelt on the ground. <laughs> yeah, like with her, her, I think her head was actually touching, yeah. like the mm-hmm. feet. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it was out of character for Mormon. Yeah, for a Mormon, it seemed really Catholic. Right, which maybe maybe she was. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things about Temple Square is that it has that appeal to tourists. Mm-hmm. Like it's right in the middle of everything, which mm-hmm. is on purpose, mm-hmm. um, and it is a tourist hotspot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I guess it would make sense if she was a Catholic that she would want to go see Space Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, go see the giant statue of Jesus surrounded by clouds and planets and stars and things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know, maybe not. Just watching it made me feel yeah, it was a, little, weird. a little weird. I kind of cringed a little bit. And it was a little awkward, like, trying to walk through, like, to get to the exit door. Um <laughs> While she was doing this and everybody else was watching her, like, we had to, like, walk right in front yeah, of everybody. Yeah, it's like, are we interrupting something? I know. <laughs> like, what did we miss in the five minutes that we were looking at pictures? <laughs> yeah. And then they, uh, so the, the picture display that went around the back of that was a lot of, uh, like, biblical stories. They started with um, Adam and Eve, and they went to, like, Noah and all those, you know, different scenes um, that are very common paintings in, in the Mormon church. Um, I was a little disappointed that they didn't actually put a date on anything. I was on I the know, paintings. Uh, yeah, because well, it's not very common. I, I know. I just kind of always. I just. I just hope that they'll be forthright about what they really believe about Adam and Eve. 
and the fact that like when you really press them they believe that it happened 6000 years ago you know and that before oh, that there's oh, no death those kind of dates right yeah i thought you meant when it was painted no, I, I mean, like, when they believe these things That's actually happen. you'll find on the back of the canvas. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, that yeah, makes because, more sense. Because a lot of people, especially these days, with uh-huh. all of the whitewashing and the way that they just kind of avoid their true beliefs, you, you won't get a straight answer. And mm-hmm. you'll find a lot of people trying to reconcile traditional Mormon beliefs, right. like the 6,000-year-old Earth, mm-hmm. um, with actual science and evidence, mm-hmm. you know, which we've talked about that a little bit on the, on the show. Um, so we don't need to get into it, really. Um, so after that, we went to the tabernacle, the old tabernacle, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. I think it's a pretty interesting building. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just really glad I never had to sit in those pews. Yeah. They, they were very similar to the pews that, that we had in our church building growing up. Do you remember those, Megan? Wood like that? Mm-hmm. They didn't have cushions? Mm-mm. Not when I was a kid. Huh. Because the ones in my church building in California were like that, but they had cushions placed on them. They may have been added later, but I've never had to sit on a hardwood bench before at church. At least I don't remember there being cushions. I don't remember. Do you remember? No? I mean, it's likely that there was just hardwood. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I just remember being uncomfortable in yeah. general. <laughs> the cushions don't make them that much more comfortable. Yeah. Right. So people now occasionally start fighting over the chairs in the back. The first few rows oh. in the back of our board building have like really thick cushions on them mm-hmm. and so they're pretty comfortable as far as fold as far as folding chairs here chairs go. true they did you know mm-hmm. they were pretty nice when we went yeah 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 that's where we sat mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's where my family sits now <laughs> wow, this is like a three-inch cushion that's not too bad yeah <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know, anything else about the tabernacle? It's just a cool building. Yeah. I like the, the orchid was just yeah, nice. Very the arc- pipes were 7,000 pipes. 7,000 pipes, <laughs> which we learned from a, a very nice old lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we didn't spend a whole lot of time in there. And then after that, we went to the museum, mm-hmm. um, which it turns out we went through backwards. They have it set up weird. It is a little weird. <laughs> Yeah, the entrance is on the right rather than on the left, but it's like right next to each other. Yeah, and they have this little tiny sign that says "Tour starts this way" or yeah. "Display starts this way." And we way, weren't the only ones that went backwards. Like really? most of the people that we like were in that same room with us, followed mm. us. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, mm. <laughs> we weren't the only ones that did it backwards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, they're just starting with Joseph's death. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and polygamy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so, okay, so we, we uh, went backwards, we started with the death, um, it was actually pretty cool the way that they, the way that they had that one picture of Carthage Jail, I thought, mm-hmm. did, you, did you notice that one? You how, it how it was two different panels, mm-hmm. and, the, and, and the door, where the door would be was like where the edge of the picture was, so it looked right. like two separate rooms. Yeah, it was, it was kind of cool, yeah. Um, but it was the scene where, you know, they're, they're trying to close the door on the mob. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that the mob yeah, can't the get in and kill picture. them. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. And yeah. it was right next to the display of Hiram Smith's clothes that he was yeah. wearing when he got shot mm-hmm. with those really cool sunglasses. Yep. Those mm-hmm. steampunk glasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the era of steampunk. That's probably why they yeah. look steampunky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything's very makeshift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Anything else about that, that section? Nothing really stood out to yeah. me. It, it was pretty generic. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, they're playing up the idea that they were martyrs, which I think is ridiculous. But um, 
We've talked about that before as well. But it's not surprising because that's the only thing you hear at church. About exactly. Too. Yeah. yeah. It's consistent with all the Sunday school lessons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all the videos you'll ever watch on Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like if they were really martyrs, then they would have been given an opportunity to renounce their faith. You know, wouldn't they at some point? Right. And the fact that they were in Carthage jail for reasons that had nothing to do with their religion also brings into question whether right. or not they were martyrs. But the stories that you hear at church is that they had the opportunity to renounce their religion multiple times. Did they? Yeah, like when they've been tarred and feathered before, like this, if you renounce your religion, this won't happen to you. They never did. And mm. I'm pretty sure there's another story of at Carthage jail. Like mm. they were there to force them to renounce their religion. I don't remember Which isn't the actual story, but those mm. are stories that I grew up listening to. Interesting. So I, I, I never I had any doubt that they those. were martyrs. I can't remember specific details like that, though. Yeah. I just I just remember them throwing out the word martyr over and over. Mm. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, the whole reason that they were even in Carthage jail was because they destroyed a printing press that was mm-hmm. publishing um, the truth about Joseph Smith being a polygamist, mm-hmm. which just 10 feet away from this whole display of him dying was a small kiosk mm-hmm. with, what was it, like half a dozen quotes of mm-hmm. women uh, talking about polygamy and how hard polygamy was and how it was their Abrahamic... But how rewarding it was. Uh, yeah, their, their Abrahamic trial of faith. Mm-hmm. And, and once they committed to it, then it was so awesome mm-hmm. and all those things. You know, uh, anybody have any comments about that? I'm sure that's <laughs> one of their new displays. Oh, absolutely. The, the one about polygamy? Yeah. yeah. Well, I just... The thing that I thought that was interesting about that was how all of the quotes was... They had the women talking about how hard and difficult it was to like um to be go go in with the mm-hmm. all of the polygamy and stuff like that and it just sounded very like rapey to me I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah it was manipulative yeah, yeah. it was manipulative and mm-hmm. like they clearly were not wanting to consent to it mm-hmm. right but but they were in a position a lot of them i think were in a position where they couldn't say no. Yeah. Here was the prophet of their church mm-hmm. telling them that God wanted them to be another wife of his. Mm-hmm. And they were true believers, you know, like, and, and this is in a society where it's very patriar- patriarchal. Mm-hmm. You, um, the man provides and all that. Like, women mm-hmm. are very much dependent mm-hmm. on men. You know, they, they can't just leave the men right. as easily as they can now. Mm-hmm. You know, and so a lot of them, I felt... I think we're compelled um, to comply with it. Right. You know, so well, it wasn't that, true and consent. Joseph Smith painted it as this is a free ticket for your whole family to be in the celestial kingdom. Like, yeah, it for wasn't quite like, a few women. Yeah. If you deny this, then you're basically sending your family to hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's either this or everybody's damned. Yeah. You know, Brigham Young gave all the women an out though and said that they could leave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. What was the? Do you remember the whole quote? Of that? I don't remember the whole quote. I just remember it was in one of their church meetings, and he's mm-hmm. like, "You guys keep complaining about it, and if you won't shut up about complaining about it, you can just leave. This is your opportunity now. But if you don't leave in the next mm-hmm. like week, then you're stuck, and you can't ever leave." Right. Because again, Brigham Young was an abusive yeah. patriarch. Yeah, and this is in the Utah <laughs> Territory. It's like, really, where are they going to go? If it was back east, it probably would have been a little bit easier for some of them to leave. Mm. Yeah, but once but, you've already committed to moving across the country, yeah, it's like there's nothing yeah, between go? here like, and then you could just like, the like east. go join an Indian tribe. What can you do? Exactly. Right. <laughs> like, and at you that couldn't point, even just go to Washington war. or Oregon. You yeah. know, it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's completely uncharted territory out there. Yeah, like if they were lucky, they could get a train out to like California, maybe. Yeah, but they'd um, still need the money, which they weren't going to get. Right. Yeah, just awful, awful situation. Um, 
So then working backwards again, um, there, they, they had a couple displays about um, like moving from the was it Midwest to Utah, right? And I think I think it was right next to the display on um, the Relief Society, oh. um, which I didn't really pay much attention to. Did either of you? Uh, yeah. See it? I, we stood and listened to one, I think. Kind of. I read it anyway. The display about the Relief Society? Yeah. Yeah, that big video screen. The size of a door? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I The Relief Society bothers me, so I didn't, I didn't stick really around get, for much of it. But I didn't really get much out of it other than yeah. just... They're trying to incorporate more women displays, but mm-hmm. it's right. not, like, it's not effective, I don't think. Well, yeah, I, it's just kind of silly that they keep touting how awesome the Relief Society is and how it's the largest women's organization. Which is kind of awesome, having right. the largest women's organization, but they leave out the fact that it's not technically run by women. Right, and the fact that the only reason that it's necessary is because women aren't allowed in the upper echelons of Mormonism. Exactly. And, yeah, and, like, so real they, leadership. So they right. gave provided a space for women because they mm-hmm. weren't allowed to be included. So really, yeah. yeah, so really it's the world's largest women's consolation prize. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's more of what it is now. When they first put the Relief Society together, it was more of a human humanitarian effort mm-hmm. and the women had more of a leadership role in the church but that mm-hmm. ended like when Brigham Young came in to play right because Brigham Young's a patriarchal yeah. abusive man yeah. um, anyway so so next to that display um, they had a display of it looked like kind of a swamp area like they had oh, the big trees right. and like the creek going by mm-hmm. and they had the, that big red cloth mm-hmm. in the shadow box mm-hmm. And next to it, they had this little plaque that explained that, um, I think it was Joseph, um, went around and he, he told the people of this camp, um, many of whom were sick with malaria, oh, yeah. uh, many of the children were sick with malaria, mm-hmm. and he told them that if they used this big red handkerchief to wipe the faces of all of these children with malaria, then they would be healed. Mm-hmm. And according to the plaque, of course, everybody was healed. Mm-hmm. You know, But it, it just it's just like... Good grief. Like, they were spreading disease. <laughs> right. And how clean is that handkerchief? Like, is there malaria right. still on that handkerchief? <laughs> you know? It's just separated by a glass case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, and uh, that's a story I've never heard before. Like, you'd think that would be a story they talk about in church. Mm-hmm. Like, this big miracle. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't even talk about it in Legacy. Like, that yeah. would have been the have... time to do it because they have a malarial scene. Yeah. And, like, in, in Legacy, they even have the ox being yeah, healed by a woman. By a woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, if I remember correctly, the original story was Eliza R. Snow, right? Praying for her ox to get up so oh, that she could yeah. travel, mm-hmm. keep traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah. Lots of miracles. <laughs> <laughs> then after that, um, let's see, there was the, uh, there, there was a display on Zion's Camp, which they talk about how it was like this huge trial of faith um, I don't know if you know much about Zion's Camp. Do you guys know anything about it? Kind of, so, a lot. So from what I understand, Zion's Camp was essentially a, uh, a couple hundred men that um, Joseph assembled together to go to Missouri to help out because the Missourians were attacking the Mormons, mm-hmm. like killing them and all that. Um, which, of course, they leave out that the Mormons were also killing other people right. um, and attacking other people. But this this group of men was essentially a militia. Like they were an armed militia, militia. Oh, yeah, coming I have in. I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. They're coming in to kill a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Um, but they never actually made it. Like it was like there was too many trials, too many mm-hmm. hardships. They ran out of food, all that kind of stuff. They just couldn't quite get there. But along the way, they found a mound, a, an Indian burial mound. Oh, yeah. um, and I was a little disappointed that they didn't actually mention this on mm-hmm. the display. I, st- I didn't see it anywhere. Um, but they had in this mound, they found some bones, um, like on a, like an altar mummification kind of thing, right? Um, and and Joseph told the men that this was a white Lamanite general named Zelf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that he was super famous and he was a super awesome general and a true believer and a good, ma- good man mm-hmm. and all that. And <laughs> it's just I don't know, kind of a ridiculous story. And of course it stands in the face of all of the apologists these days who try to say that the Book of Mormon story happened in South America or on the mm-hmm. uh, Yuc- Yucatan Peninsula mm-hmm. or like any of those places. Joseph didn't believe that. Nope. You know, and, and there are, uh, I, I read earlier this week um, mm-hmm. that there's letters where Joseph was very explicit um, talking to his wife that um, the Nephites and the Lamanites lived in America's heartland, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, around where he lived, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which it's, is why he found their place in, in right. his hometown right. or, or where he was at the time. Exactly. Yeah. So all of those problems that people yeah. have with the heartland theory – well, Joseph believed in the Heartland theory, or at least mm-hmm. that's what he taught. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? Well, they had the uh, the banknote. Remember the banknote? Yes, the three dollar banknote. Mm-hmm. You know more about the bank, though. Like... Well, I, what, what I know about the banknote, I learned from David Fitzgerald's book, um, "The Complete Heretic's Guide to Western Religion: The Mormons," mm-hmm. which I actually have I've something that I want to talk about later from that book. Uh, but he talks about how. Um, you know, the, the church, Joseph Smith was trying to build revenue and, and get a lot of credibility in Nauvoo. And so one of the ways that he wanted to do it was actually a pretty common practice, apparently, where they set up their own bank with their own banknotes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not not U.S. currency. It was their own stuff. Okay. Was this in Kirtland? Maybe it was in Kirtland. I think it was in Kirtland. Um, yeah, it was, it was around that that's era. that's where they really started to be able to establish it may be, themselves. Yeah. Um, but... It was entirely, at least Joseph's bank, was entirely illegal. Mm-hmm. He didn't have permission to do it. Um, and he also didn't have the capital that he claimed to have in order to support it. Because you're supposed to have um, as much capital as you, can, as you have banknotes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, does that make sense? So, like, you have um, as much gold as what you are giving out as banknotes for other people to use as money. Like, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, everything that you give out um, is backed up by your capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what he would do to make it seem like he had more capital was he had piles of these banknotes stacked um, in the back of like the, the bank teller area, right? Like so people could see it when they came into the bank. Um, he stacked these banknotes on top of grain, like buckets of grain mm-hmm. to make it look like he had this huge pile yeah. of money, you know, this huge amount of capital, and it was mostly just grain. <laughs> you know, like that's the level of deception that, that Joseph Smith was using um, to gain credibility and, and all that. Um, anyway, anything else from uh, that section of the museum? No, I don't remember the rest of the section being that interesting. Well, they had... Uh, I think, I think it was in the next section they had 
the seer stone. Right, right. But yeah. Mm. Yeah. So let's uh let's talk about that. Anybody want to describe what the seer stones are? We've talked about it a little bit on mm-hmm. another episode. Mm-hmm. Anybody want to talk? Anybody? Hello? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, the seer stones was basically it was like a a stone that Joseph used to help translate the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. which just sounds very like hokey, like a, a hokey tool that he would use. And so mm-hmm. the the church tries to downplay it a lot, but mm-hmm. I think now they're they're having to confront it more because people right. are bringing it up more, and they have to right because. Uh... Well, people were finding out about it online, and mm-hmm. there were accounts of people saying that they saw Joseph use the seer stones mm-hmm. or had heard that this was the, the method that he was using to translate the Book of Mormon. By putting it into a hat. Right, yeah. putting it into a hat. Basically, just go watch South Park. Yeah. Go, go watch the episode called uh, All About Mormons. Uh-huh. Um, it's essentially like that. Um, and uh, and the church tried for a long time to make it sound like he was using the Urim and Thummim, mm-hmm. okay, which are often described as basically glasses, like spectacles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, clear stones set in a, a wire frame. And, Aren't they supposed to be connected uh, to a breastplate thing? Yeah, attached to a breastplate yeah. and all that, which doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, it's this ancient magical device that looks kind of like glasses. Right. That's mm-hmm. at least something that modern people can wrap their heads around, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but this whole idea of using a seer stone is folk magic. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody using a, a stick um, to find water, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. through like, uh, what's the, what's the it's word water for divining? It? Yeah. Divining. Yeah. Um, it's like that, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's more specific in that Joseph claimed to be able to actually read words that were mm-hmm. illuminated on the rock, right. mm-hmm. uh, which is why he needed it in a hat so he could block out all of the light. Mm-hmm. And, and then he would be able to see the words more clearly, you know, sort of like this iPad I have here. <laughs> <laughs> which is, it's interesting how even the display didn't go into that much detail that you could even under, understand how he used the seer stone. Right. Um, they just acknowledged that he did. Mm-hmm. Right. And they still had quotes of him using the Urimum Thummim. Exactly, because again, Joseph wasn't consistent. No, like he was, he was terribly inconsistent with yeah. the way that he would spin his own story. Right, you know. So he would say he would use a stone, and then it mm. was I'm using the Urim and Thummim, and then he was back to the stone again, and it kept flip flopping. Right, like do you use the plates? Do like, not use the plates? They just kind of converged. The ideas converged. I think mm. that's why the church was teaching it because that's just how it came about. Yeah, and it. Pictures of him staring into a hat just aren't that compelling. It makes it look ridiculous. Yep. You know, it looks like a poor farm boy using folk magic, you know, to to do this, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and I think the church recognized that early on, yeah. that it makes it look less credible. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of the way it happened. <laughs> or at least that's part of the way that it happened. Mm-hmm. The part of the way that he... Uh, that's you at know, least how he did it. Talked about it. Talked about it. Yeah, um, and then they had the display where they showed the pictures of the the seer stones, which were the same really ones. Disappointed that they didn't have the actual stones. I know, right? Yeah, um, but they were the same pictures that they had in the ensign that yeah. came out in I think it was October of last year, mm-hmm. um, which you know was a big deal that they were finally admitting that they had these stones. Right. You know, which mm-hmm. raises the question, well, why are we only hearing about them now? It's been 180 right. years. Yeah. Right. You know. And they try and discount it by saying this, you know, this is stuff that we've taught before. But then, mm. you know, people started showing pictures of, like, 
like pictures of how they interpreted the translation right. process, and nowhere in any of the church-sanctioned pictures is Joseph looking in a hat. Right. Mm-hmm. He's always got the book of the plates out mm-hmm. with glasses on, mm-hmm. and someone sitting next to him, transcribing. Right, and usually with a curtain between them. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. Though. Not all. There of them, are quite no. a few where they're sitting there right next to him. Yeah, and yeah, it's just kind of ridiculous, and it's just a lot of backpedaling. Yeah. Um, trying to cover their tracks. And then in the display at the museum, they talked about how normal it was for prophets um, to have these uh, little devices that would help them channel the Spirit of God so that they'd be more in tune and right. be able to prophesy better. And right. They talked about the Urim and Thummim being exa- an example of that. Mm-hmm. They talked about, was it the Rod of Aaron? They uh, had a couple other other examples from like um, the Old Testament, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and my thought process with that is, so this is basically the same thing as Bronze Age magic. Right, and it begs you the know. question, what are the prophets today using? Yeah. Does Thomas Monson <laughs> walk around with a rock in his pocket? Like, right. why doesn't he need a special tool? Well, his is probably a stick. <laughs> doesn't he have a cane? It's probably his cane. Does he have a cane now? I don't know. He's, he's getting old. I still haven't watched any of the old conference, so I don't know yeah. if he walked out with a cane. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that was kind of disappointing, the Seerstone display. Yeah. And they, uh, oh yeah, right next to it, they had a quote where Joseph Smith denied being a treasure hunter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even that he just denied it. He said that he was set up to look like mm-hmm. he was a treasure hunter from Josiah, whatever his last name was. Stole. Stole. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which turns out is the real owner of the seer stone. It was found in his well. Right. Um, yeah, and so, so there's a lot of controversy controversy about him being a treasure hunter. Um, from what I understand, and the, from the books that I've read, um, Joseph Smith found the stone at the bottom of Josiah Stoll's well, and he went around to like these um, Indian burial mounds and and uh, apparently also tried to find Spanish treasure. Um, and he would look at the stone and it, the stone would uh, give him directions for where they should go. Um, and then they would start digging. He was never one of the diggers. He was only telling people where to dig. Um, of course. Right. <laughs> True con man. Right. And uh, <laughs> so, so he would be sitting back and, and watching these poor saps trying to dig. Um, and then when they would get down to where it was supposed to be, um, he would come up with some excuse for why they couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. Things like trolls and gnomes grabbing the treasure and dragging it down deeper into the earth and moving it elsewhere. Like, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> and uh, If I remember right, it was kind of a family business for a while, too. Like, his dad his and dad his was brother part were yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I uh, dug up a quote from... David Fitzgerald's book, uh-huh. where he talks about um, Joseph Smith being a treasure hunter. Right. Um, so I'll just read what it says. Um, then in 1971, the original 1826 court record was discovered in the basement of the county jail in Norwich, uh, New York. In the court record, okay, so this is a, a, doc, a document that was lost for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Joseph knew that this existed. Mm-hmm. Um, but denied its, its, its existence any chance that he had. Um, maybe he knew that it, it had been lost or something. Um, 
But well, he I'm knew sure that court records weren't very well kept. Exactly. Like he was counting on it kind of disappearing. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so lots of people commented on how they uh, had never heard of anything, had never seen any records of it. If such a thing had actually happened, then they would have heard about it, like that kind of thing. In the court record, Joseph confessed that he had been offering his surface, services as a seer for the last three years, which put his money-digging activities from 1823 to 1826. To put it another way, Joseph was operating as a con artist during the same time he would later claim to be preparing himself to be worthy of receiving the gold plates that an angel had told him lay mm -hmm. buried near his home. Mm -hmm. And then they give a picture of the actual court document, and they um, have a transcript that shows everything that was said. And it says that he was put on trial March 20th, 1826, for fraud, for being a, dis a quote, disorderly person and an imposter. And then they also quote him as being Joseph Smith, the glass looker. Um, yeah. So obviously, he was doing something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had like been living with that family for like five months, mm -hmm. leading them on this wild goose chase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you and know. He, in that quote at the museum, he made it sound like he had only been in their services for like five days or something like that. Like he really okay. downplayed his relationship with Josiah Stowell. Mm. Which sounds very much like Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so he had all of these cronies, these people that he was working with um, to find buried treasure, right? And he never found anything until he came across the golden the plates. Gold plates. Um, and, gold so, <laughs> right, and so And so rumors started going around about Joseph having these gold plates, this gold Bible. And... You know the story of uh, him running with the, the plates and, like, um, two men, like, jumping out and, like, trying to attack him to steal mm -hmm. the plates. And he, he, like, punches one and then, like, pushes the other one over a log and then runs down, uh, like, th like another, like, mile or so mm -hmm. to his house with, you know, 200 pounds of gold plates. Right. And a bum leg. And a bum leg. Um, like that ridiculous story. Yeah. Um, yeah, so apparently... They had a display of that. Did you see that? Oh, I missed that one. Um, but apparently those two men... Were also treasure hunters. They were his his partners. Yeah, like they wanted their cut of the treasure mm -hmm. that he claimed to have found. Mm -hmm. You know, they thought that that he had actually found something, and that he was hiding it from them. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. Anyway, um, anything else from the museum? Um, no. Oh yeah. I just remembered. Um, so outside of the little theater that they had, um, oh, there the was the first that, vision accounts. Yeah, the first vision accounts, mm -hmm. and they had they had it set up with a book where um, you could actually read all of the different accounts. Mm -hmm. Okay, which is a little a little bit surprising until you realize that um, nobody is going to actually sit there and take the time to read, to read them, them and point out the contradictions because you have like like 10, 12 pages of information to read mm -hmm. when everywhere around you is this interactive museum. You know, mm -hmm. lots of bells and whistles and things mm -hmm. to go look at and, and interact with. Like, nobody's going to take the time to read a dozen pages right then and there. And so they had those little synopses, right, the little bullet points, bullet points, that show that this account emphasizes this, and this account emphasizes this and that kind of thing. So they're, they're talking about the contradictions as emphasis, mm -hmm. you know, like he's, mm -hmm. he's not 
it's, it's not that there's contradictions. It's that he's only talking about this thing over here and this thing over here. You know. So well, I and be, I think it was because inter- they, they only showed the accounts that other people had written down. Like they weren't just from Joseph Smith. Like that's mm-hmm. what I thought was interesting. So there were people writing down what they recollected from his stories, right? Um, for some of them, yeah. But but yeah, some of the some of the accounts are um, in his own words. Um, and some of them were like newspaper clippings, conversations that he had with other people, and then they wrote it down into their journal, right. like those kinds of things. Um, so, let's see. So, since today is the uh, the disciplinary hearing for um, Jeremy Runnels, who we've talked about before, mm-hmm. um, the author of the CES letter, um, I thought it would be kind of fun and appropriate to talk about what he had in his uh, CES letter about the First Vision accounts. So he just has them listed in uh, different bullet points. So the first one is there are at least four different First Vision accounts by Joseph Smith. The 1832 account, two 1835 accounts, the 1838 account, which is the uh, the official version, mm-hmm. the one that we all were raised with, and then the 1942 account. Um, two, no one, including Joseph Smith's family and the saints, had ever heard about the first vision for 12 to 22 years after it supposedly occurred. The first and earliest account of the first vision in Joseph's uh, journal was written 12 years after the spring of 1820. So 1820 is when it was supposed to have happened. Um, there is absolutely no record of the first vision prior to 1832 which is something that surprised me when I first heard about it. Mm-hmm. Because when I, like, like looking back at what I was taught, um, they always said that Joseph was persecuted for having had this vision and then telling his family and then, like, rumors started going around and, like, there were pastors and reverends coming to his door to, like, challenge him on what he had seen and heard. Yeah, and all the movies show this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, it, and I think that uh, he even mentions it in the uh, official account, like uh, the one that made mm-hmm. it into the Pearl of Great Price, mm-hmm. right? I'm pretty sure, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, like, like he says that he was persecuted for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no record of anybody um, hearing about this before 1832, 12 years after it had supposedly happened, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And two years after the church had been organized and the Book of Mormon mm-hmm. had been finished. Yep. <laughs> um, third point. In 1832, or in the 1832 account, Joseph says that before praying, he knew there was no true or living faith or denomination upon the earth as built by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. His primary purpose in going to prayer was to seek forgiveness of his sins. Okay. Um, Point number four, in the official 1838 account, Joseph said his object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects was right, that I might know which to join, for this time it had never entered into my heart that all were wrong. This is a direct contradiction to the 1832 First Vision account. So in one, he's saying that he, he knew that none of them were right, and that he was just asking God for forgiveness of his sins. And in the other one, he was just asking which one he should join, be, mm-hmm. join because he had never thought that maybe all of them were wrong. Right. <laughs> like, that's a pretty big contradiction. And these are of his own accounts, mm-hmm. right? Um, number five, this one has a few sub-points. 
Um, dates and ages, 1832 states that Joseph Smith was 15 years old when he had the, the vision in 1821, while the other accounts state he was 14 year olds in fate, sorry, he was 14 years old in 1820 when he had had the vision. Um, the reason or motive for seeking divine help, um, Bible reading and conviction of sins, a revival, a desire to know if God exists. These are just all the different ones that, that creep up in the different accounts. Mm -hmm. Wanting to know which church to join um, are not reported the same in each account. So these are all contradictions. Mm -hmm. um, who appears to him? Um, so in some accounts it says that it's a spirit, um, an angel, two angels, Jesus, many angels, the Father and the Son. It's all over the place. Mm -hmm. So each account says that, he was, that uh, different things appeared to him. Um, the, the, the last point. The historical record shows that there was no revival in Palmyra in 1820. There was one in 1817, and there was another one in 1824. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that part of his story isn't correct. Um, there are records from his brother William Smith and his mother Lucy Mack Smith, both stating that the family joined Presbyterianism after Alvin's death in November 1823 despite Joseph Smith claiming in the official 1838 account that they joined in 1820, three years before Alvin Smith's death. Um, oh, there is one more point. Why did Joseph hold a Trinitarian view of the Godhead, as shown previously with the Book of Mormon, if he clearly saw that God the Father and the Son were separate embodied beings in the official first vision? So, in other words, he changed his view of what the Godhead was. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because in the uh, original 1830 edition of the Book of Mormon, you have a Trinitarian view of the Godhead, God the Father mm -hmm. and Jesus Christ being the same person, mm -hmm. right? And then they went in and changed it with one of their first um, revisions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And changed it so there was there, there were two separate beings. Which you know? I find is interesting because I, I, I always remembered growing up that the the first vision was what the more what Mormon Church used as their biggest point of evidence, pointing towards the reason why we believe in mm. separate God, God and Jesus having mm. separate bodies. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's not even in in the Book of Mormon in the earliest edition. Mm -hmm. You know, and in Joseph Smith's own earliest accounts, it's a Trinitarian view. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it has a, a really cool infographic at the bottom of. This page, what is it, page like 20 or 21, um, 22 and 23, that's what it is, in the CES letter. Um, so we won't go through that because that just won't sound very good on radio, but uh, I definitely recommend checking it out. They just point just out. just kind of maps out the differences, right? Right, yeah, it's just an infographic of the differences. So like in the 1832 version, um, it shows that they talk about sins being forgiven and that Jesus Christ appeared. Um, and then in the 1835 vision, Jesus Christ doesn't appear, but there's um, angels that appear and, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And there's a pillar of fire and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so definitely worth checking out. Mm -hmm. um, anything else from the museum? Uh, no, there isn't anything really notable upstairs. Mm -hmm. Just the art museum or the, the art, art exhibit? art museum and then all their displays on the prophets. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Um, what did we do after that? Conference center? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, by that point, I was pretty tired. Yeah. <laughs> we just kind of like sat we just there for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and after we had been uh, 
sitting there talking about all of our anti-Mormon um, um, views, a very nice little old lady came up and asked us how we were doing, if mm-hmm. we wanted to learn any fun facts about the building. Yeah. And then she uh, told us that it, it uh, could hold 21,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and she asked me if, or she asked us if we could imagine what it would be like, you know, having the seats all mm-hmm. filled and you know, having 21,000 people in there. And my response was, I think I'd probably go crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it would be an enjoyable experience for me. (laughs) But Corinne, you've actually been during conference, right? That's what it was, Megan. Oh, yeah, Megan. Yeah. That's right. We had the conversation yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, we did. But, yeah. Mm. Been there a few times during conference. So what was that like? It's like a big state conference meeting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's nothing highly unusual. Just a lot more people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I never got to sit on the ground level, though, so those are the exclusive seats, I'm assuming. <laughs> right. I think the ones you get from your bishop or stake president are the ones in the second and third floors. Mm. The nosebleeds. Yeah, the nosebleeds. Yeah. But they, they're they nice, and they accommodate that by having two very large screens on either side. <laughs> so it's like being there, but still watching it at home. Right. <laughs> Seeing the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And then that was pretty much the end because we didn't mm-hmm. do the Beehive House. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Beehive House would have been interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going through that, knowing what we know about Brigham Young now versus having gone through it before. Mm-hmm. Like just thinking Brigham Young was this awesome prophet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I remember it feeling very cramped, looking very dirty. It is super cramped. Yeah. Yeah. I think mostly they just kind of talk about the home life. It's not a ton of, mm. like, personal information on Brigham Young, but they talk about, like, all his kids and stuff. I don't mm. remember them being very detailed about his wives. They bring it up, though, because the Lion House was also his. Is that and where most split, of the other wives he lived? He split both of his families between those mm. two houses. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a tour of a house. Yeah. Oh, polygamy. Why don't you share uh, what your grandpa told us? Oh, yeah, we can talk about that. (laughs) So last Sunday we were at my parents' house um, having dinner, and I don't even remember how we got on the subject. I don't remember either. We were talking, I don't know, all this, imagine this, you know, think about Mm -hmm. this. And my grandpa was like, well, think about this. When I was born... The prophet of the church still had four wives. <laughs> oh, I remember. My mom was talking about how 50 years now seems like such a short time because uh-huh. she's going to turn 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how it got started. And yeah. yeah. And my little, my youngest brother, Christopher, mm-hmm. is 15. And obvi- like obviously, for obvious reasons, isn't that familiar with polygamy because the church really just doesn't talk, talk about, about it, it at all. And it's not something you talk about at home either. Right. Um, and so we like... It took him a moment to realize what we were talking about, like with him oh. having four wives, and his aha moment was just amazing. He's like, oh, what? <laughs> and then my mom had a very similar reaction, too, because she, growing up Mormon, like, mm-hmm. wasn't aware of a lot of the aspects of polygamy. You know, she right. was under the assumption that as soon as the 1890 manifesto came out, polygamy ended. Completely, right. and that those that wanted to continue polygamy had to go to Mexico, mm-hmm. 
and um, and they didn't have the blessing. And of the they church. didn't have the blessing of the church. Mm-hmm. And so my grandpa was born in 1942, and for that prophet, it was Heber J. Grant, I mm-hmm. believe, having four wives just completely blew her mind. Right. Because she thought that polygamy had been abolished and anyone participating in polygamy was no longer associated with the church. Right. And so we kind of had a little discussion about, no, it's like if you if they already had wives, then they were able to keep them. They just couldn't keep marrying wives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they did, those were the ones that went to Mexico. Right. But it was kind of interesting. <laughs> and my dad just obviously knew mm-hmm. about it, too, because he helped explain it, which I thought was interesting as well. Because he knows me- about it. Yeah, because he knows mm-hmm. about it. And mm-hmm. it's it's like for him to know about it, for but for my mom not to know about it. It's like it's really obvious that leaders of the church don't communicate that. No, they don't want that Because he is a high councilman knowledge. and he was a bishop. So it's yeah. like he was privy to this information, yeah. but we my mom wasn't. Didn't want everybody to know. Yeah. And the only reason my grandpa knew about it was because he was born in that time. Yeah. <laughs> but like I pointed out to you, though, like him being the prophet in 1942, like mm-hmm. I feel like those wives would have had to have been, he would have been married to them after the 1905 Second Manifesto came out. It's a very good chance. Yeah. Well, I mean, even um, who was Wilford Woodruff, mm-hmm. the uh, the prophet who came out with the 1890 manifesto, mm-hmm. the first one, mm-hmm. supposedly got married on a uh, a boat. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. after that. I think him and John Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even they weren't following yeah. their own mm-hmm. counsel. It nope. was just for political gain. Mm-hmm. They didn't want the U.S. government to, to steal their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, to and they needed to be a state. Mm-hmm. That was the real reason why the second one came out. Yeah. So, yeah, just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. It was just kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, but it's just more more examples of the way that the church tries to control its own image and whitewash its, whitewash its actual history, mm-hmm. you know, and and to, to the point where its own members don't even know what is really going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you pay attention at all to Megan's reaction? My sister, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Remind me. I don't remember. Well, I didn't, but now I'm trying to... I wish I had, Mm -hmm. because, I mean, obviously Christopher didn't know, but Daniel seemed to kind of be familiar with the idea, Mm -hmm. you and I, obviously, and my dad and my grandpa. But I always feel bad for my mom in situations like that, because she is usually the last one to know anything. Like, she's just... Mm -hmm. Right, because she's a Mormon housewife. she's a Mormon housewife. She's not very educated. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just feel bad for her in situations like that because everyone else around her knows about mm-hmm. something, but she doesn't. Right. You know. Yeah, I didn't catch Megan's. I know. Reaction. I wish I had paid attention. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think about it. I was too focused on my mom's reaction. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and wondering if this was going to explode. <laughs> right. Like, where is this going to turn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to start talking about the Seerstone. I know. <laughs> Multiple yeah. first vision accounts. Yeah, but Christopher's reaction was pretty classic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts on the uh, Temple Square experience? Or... Um, I'm kind of surprised by the lack of interaction we had with, like, missionaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they were everywhere. Yeah. Especially in the visitor centers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they seemed to all have their primary targets already picked. Yeah. And they were, like, following people around. Mm-hmm. Um, we just seemed to, like, slip through the cracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a little unfortunate. Maybe we'll have to go back and put up a little better show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody just needs to get... Well, Megan, you're going to get some uh, tattoos on your arm, yeah. right? Yes. Get some sleeves. <laughs> well, if we try yeah. again when Missy comes, she's already got the tattoos. No, that's true. She's, she's got, got a couple. Tattoos. I mean, yeah. you can't really see the f- mm. one. 
<laughs> We'd be kicked out of Temple Square. <laughs> we'll have to carry some Starbucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just make it a little more obvious. Yeah. Um, okay. So I assume now, having gone through uh, Temple Square, that we're all going back to church next week. But that's actually a good point. Like the whole idea of feeling the spirit, like going oh. through again, it's like I, you don't feel that. Right. And I think feeling the spirit too, like it's the atmosphere that they've built around it. Like mm-hmm. the conference center was super peaceful mm. and very quiet. Yeah. But thinking about it, most of their buildings are set up that way. Like yeah. they, it's like they generate this atmosphere of quiet. And right. so it's really easy for you to think that you're feeling something mm-hmm. completely out of the ordinary. Right. It's about making yourself in tune with yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and then calling that God. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's sort of like meditation in a way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like getting you in a particular state of mind right. to uh, think about certain things or in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they just have a, a very clear agenda. Yeah. You yeah. know, you can only uh, feel the spirit when thinking about these things and the spirit can only confirm these things that we believe. Right. You know, if you receive right. confirmation of something that contradicts what we say, it wasn't the spirit. It wasn't the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So I had one last thing that I wanted to talk about. Okay. So this is going back to David Fitzgerald's book. Nice bookmark. Right. (laughs) My bookmark is the Joker card from a deck of cards. Um, anyway, so towards the end of his book, um, again, this is the complete heretics guide to Western religion, the Mormons. I really do hope that he continues the series. I know. Because this is a good read. I, I do like want to get book. nailed. Oh, yeah. That's a, and then what's... Uh, he's got another one that's coming out soon, I think. Yeah, I can't remember what it is. Anyway. Anyway, he's, he's just a really good writer. Um, very entertaining. But it's he, like the intro to things. Like his... Mm-hmm. It's like Bible 101. This is Mormonism mm-hmm. 101. Right. It's just very comprehensive and easy to read. Yeah. So towards the end of the book... Um, on page 299, um, he talks about being, um, or, or I guess engaging with true believing Mormons. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this book is written for heathens, mm-hmm. atheists, mm-hmm. people who don't believe in Mormonism. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to give them a bunch of information about, um, the Mormon church's history. That you um, won't get from the church itself. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of their core beliefs and that kind of stuff, um, to be used somewhat as ammunition for conversations because, mm-hmm. um, again, like the Mormon church has 80,000 missionaries out in the world knocking on doors, trying to convert people. Odds are somebody that reads this book is going to come across the Mormon missionaries mm-hmm. and engage in a conversation mm-hmm. or talk to somebody that they work with or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because Mormons like to proselytize. Mm-hmm. So he has some recommendations for how to go about conversing with Mormons, um, about sharing your disbelief. So he just has a bunch of different points. Twelve in total. So I thought it would be kind of fun to go through them since we went Mm -hmm. to the Temple Square yesterday. Um, So number one, be friendly. Be yourself. You may be one of the only people they get a chance to really talk with, and that puts you in a unique position to reach out to them. Think of yourself as an ambassador for science, reason, and godlessness. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, remember that changing minds 
is an ongoing process. Don't try to slam dunk an argument. Plant the seed. Mm-hmm. See, this sounds very Mormon in its approach, I think, mm-hmm. so far. Number three, avoid using curse words. Which is actually good, really good advice. Yeah, it's good advice for Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as you use a swear word, they automatically turn off. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They, they shut get, down. They get defensive. They think that you're inviting the spirit of contention, mm-hmm. that you're not going to be receptive of the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like for Mormons, it's a, it's a kind of placebo, I think. It's, it's like mm-hmm. a psychological conditioning. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like Pavlov's dogs, when they hear the bell, they start to salivate, right? Mm-hmm. Like when Mormons hear a curse word, they immediately think that something bad's going to happen or that the Spirit of God is going to mm-hmm. leave their presence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like it's a big deal for Mormons. Um, number four, don't try talking to a Mormon with a cigarette or an alcoholic or caffeinated drink in your hand. That immediately disqualifies your argument. I can understand that a little bit, but I mean, like, especially Mm -hmm. coming, like, growing up from Seattle, I remember even as a Mormon watching other people carrying around a cup of coffee is like nothing. Yeah. Because I mean, like, if I saw another Mormon do it, I would, I would notice it. But if I saw just a random person, I wouldn't think anything of it because. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the the, the alcohol, the alcohol and cigarettes, I think Mm -hmm. would be a little more effective. Cigarettes especially. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if they're smoking the cigarette at right. the time, yeah. then yeah, definitely. Because that has an immediate trigger. Off. Like the, yeah. the the Mormon will smell it, yeah. and they'll put them on the defensive uh-huh. in the same way that a, that a curse word. Yeah, might, it's know? different from them knowing that you're a smoker or knowing that you drink alcohol. They just zero in on that and think, okay, this right. is what we need to work on first. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're doing it mm-hmm. in front of them, yeah, it just it, it just time. has a chance of putting them on the defensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, will discredit any argument that you have because you're a godless, godless heathen who doesn't know the word of wisdom. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> um, number five, avoid debates. Members are instructed to avoid the spirit of contention. Mm-hmm. That was uh, something that mom used to say all the time. Do you remember that, Megan? Avoiding the spirit of contention? Just the spirit of contention in general. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime that... that uh, there would be a big argument in the house mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, like that's a phrase oh, that she would uh-huh. throw around. Because you know? <laughs> like, it makes everybody feel bad. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a big word. Yeah. Contention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, number six, on a similar note, avoid snark, ridicule, or going on the attack. Mm-hmm. Mormons have a hair-trigger persecution complex, honed mm-hmm. by almost two centuries of dickish behavior from the outside world. <laughs> And easily slip into, quote, help, I'm being persecuted mode, Mm -hmm. if you're not careful. Persecution has a funny way of reinforcing religious faith for most believers, especially most spoiled American mainstream Christians who really have no clue what genuine religious persecution is, (laughs) which is so true. So don't (laughs) mock or attack them or even say you are wrong. If they think you are the enemy, the conversation is over, Mm -hmm. you know? Which I think is pretty sound advice, um, because they really do have a persecution complex. Mm-hmm. Because for a long time they have been persecuted mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, or at least been uh, misunderstood and marginalized. Mm-hmm. But looking on it now, like from this perspective, I feel like they brought a lot of that on themselves. Oh, absolutely. Because they Especially weren't inclusive on. of yeah. other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 
where that came from. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they just eat up that whole idea that if they're being persecuted, then they're on the right side. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they just love that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they took um, God's Not Dead as Bible, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Number seven, a better approach is to be friendly, listen, and ask questions. Who knows? You might realize that their religious worldview isn't as bad as you had assumed. You can still reject their beliefs, but you'll be in a much better position to at least know where they are coming from and to better understand their needs and desires. So I guess taking the approach that just because they're wrong doesn't mean that they're bad. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, is generally pretty true, even mm-hmm. of Mormons. Right. Um, it just... It's just really hard when you start talking about things like, say, homophobia, gay marriage, um, blacks in the priesthood, mm-hmm. you know, women's rights. Right. Those kinds of things. Um, number eight, respect the person even if you can't respect their beliefs. If you fail to connect with someone as a fellow fallible human being, it's unlikely they'll want to pay any attention to what you might have to say. And really, why should they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pretty much the same as the one before it. Nine, people care more about whether you are real than whether you are perfect. If you get stuck or don't have an answer, just say you don't know. If you make a mistake and get called out on it, admit it. A little willingness to acknowledge you could be wrong will go a long way. Mm-hmm. This just seems like good advice good in, advice. <laughs> in yeah. arguing with people. Yeah. <laughs> um, number 10, know your stuff. Faithful, faithful Mormons spend more hours in church and reading scriptures than you do in front of the television. They have little patience for people who think they know their beliefs but actually misunderstand them. If you don't fully understand something, ask them about it. They'll be delighted to explain it to you. <laughs> with that, I would add um, becoming familiar with the Socratic approach, the Socratic method of getting them to explain their beliefs to you and then just asking questions. Well, why do you believe this? Or if you believe this, what does this mean about this? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, kind of lead them into their own rabbit holes. One of the things though, that you have to be careful of is when you ask questions, a lot of times, even if you mean it in a, like, I'm just curious way, they will take it as a, you are now an investigator and you become I'm bring- like that project. Yeah. Mm. Or, or like, um, like, like the word that the missionaries use, like when they talk about, the the people who are interested in learning more about it yeah they're an investigator they mm-hmm. think oh you're interested you're an investigator right. when you're ju- when you just want to have a discussion about beliefs. right right <laughs> it's a delicate delicate line because I because right. I do have friends who who um were never raised Mormon and they just were interested in talking with some Mormon friends and they're like mm-hmm. and then the missionaries came over and they're like all talking like right. like trying to convert me and all this stuff and right. I was like I wasn't that interested. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind just of uh, talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Mormons will jump all over that. Mm-hmm. In fact, there was an example in uh, Meet the Mormons, which we actually haven't talked about that yet, have we? We just no. mentioned that we watched it. Um, but there was a, an example where, um, 
was the the lady was like crying in the convenience store and then um the store owner came up to her was like Mm -hmm. are you okay she's like and she just like started like spilling her heart and just saying all the things that were going on in her life and and uh the the woman said well are you religious Mm -hmm. and she said well actually i've been kind of doing some research in the lds church and and then the woman's like well, I'm LDS. I'd be happy to call the missionaries and have them come talk to you right now and give you a blessing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It's like they are all over that. Yeah. And it's always about getting you in the room with missionaries mm-hmm. because to a Mormon, like like that's uh, exactly what you need so that you can learn with the spirit and then be a convert and all that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. which for this lady is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Um, what, what was I on? I think it was 10. Yeah. So I'm on 11. Okay. 11. You'll find you have more of an impact by focusing on the joys of being an atheist rather than going on the warpath and just trashing Mormon beliefs. When you do tackle Mormon dogma and historical claims, do it with gentleness. Explain why you find problems with the claim in question rather than just saying you reject it outright. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. That's good. Um... (laughs) So the last one, number 12, is kind of fun. Um, tolerate their testimony. Tolerate their testimony. Inevitably comes up. Yeah. If you engage with any TBM, true believing Mormon or true blue Mormon, for any length of time, you can rest, assure, rest assured um, sooner or later they will bear their testimony to you. This will involve a series of statements starting with, I know the church, Joseph Smith, Book of Mormon, blah, 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 to be true. Often this will be accompanied by tears. Let them get it out of their system, and then you can continue to engage in more productive conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He has one final note. Um, Finally, remember, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them think. Ultimately, they will be the ones who change their minds or not. Um, So, anyway. Fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And another thing I could add to that is a lot of people think that it's um, like non-productive to have those conversations with mm-hmm. Mormons. They're like, well, they're just so set in their ways that they'll right. never leave. But I mean, if people, if no, if everyone had the attitude, then we wouldn't, like I would still be in the church. Like right. I, it took questioning and like, mm-hmm. it, and obviously like I wasn't ready for it right at the, at the moment, like the first few times I was confronted with these things. But over time, you, over time you mold it over in your head and mm-hmm. think about the questions and, just having the conversation is good. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Just mm-hmm. that whole planting the seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, Corinne, are, are the most recent deconvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've talked about it uh, quite a bit. And you've mentioned how, like, like the way that uh, you and I started talking about it initially um, was helpful for you. Like, mm-hmm. like, I didn't push it on you. Mm-hmm. Like, it just kind of, I just stated what I believed or what I thought about different things Mm -hmm. and you thought about it and then reconsidered different things, you know, like that softer approach I think is exactly what it takes to get people to reconsider it, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you don't take a softer approach, most believers will get super defensive. They'll never really consider what you have to say and they'll think that you're just inspired by the devil. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. um, let's see the last thing. I guess we can talk about is the Meet the Mormons video. I don't know if we have a whole lot to say about it. It's available on Netflix. Yeah. It's the the video that um, 
that they'll show you if you go to downtown. Um, Which I'm still really disappointed about. Yeah, there were a couple different places where they had it showing. Um, I think it was in one of the visitor centers, and then they it's had in the it. the main visitor center. And then they had it in the uh, Joseph Smith Memorial Building, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, normally they have a video of, like, say, Joseph Smith finding the gold plates or the first vision, or they had uh, Legacy, which was the pioneers going across America. Something that has um, an actual story to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then... Uh, the Testaments. The Testaments, that's the other Before the Joseph Smith one. Yeah, which is the story of uh, Jesus coming to America, mm-hmm. as told in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things that are actually interesting, things that have to do with real Mormon beliefs and doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, Meet the Mormons is... It's propaganda. Yeah. It's an infomercial. Yep. You know, it's, it's just watch I am I'm a Mormon on YouTube and that's exactly what this movie is. Yeah. It's just six prolonged stories yep. of that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um and all it really is is showing that that Mormons can be happy, that they can have nice homes, <laughs> that they can be right. successful. Right. You know. mm-hmm. Trying to just trying to normalize our right. ourselves kinda. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like none of it talked about any of the core beliefs mm-hmm. except that they believe in Jesus. Right. Like that, that's the only thing that they really talk about as far as belief, mm-hmm. you know. Right. I think one person mentioned that, you know, the, the recipe for having a successful family involves being a member of the church or something along those lines. But, uh, I don't know, nothing really explicit, you know. I remember that. But it, they're very obviously in that video trying to show that they are diverse too, that there are more than just white people in this church because... Right. There was only one like white woman mm-hmm. in the actual film. Mm-hmm. It's like it starts off with a black man, moves to a poly man, yeah. Then Costa Rica, yeah, and then the, the half black Nepal. kid, and yeah, the guy from Nepal, and then that's there was true. The, candy the white woman had the half black son. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, the candy bomber. Yep, the candy bomber. He's the full on white one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. So watch it if you must. It's not the best movie. You certainly aren't going to learn anything about Mormonism by watching it. Um, yep. Any other thoughts? <laughs> nope. No? Mm-mm. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, Megan. Mm-hmm. Once again. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is our show. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you would like to contact us, you can email us at skepticsquaredpodcast at gmail.com. You can... Check out the show's blog at www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. We are on iTunes and YouTube and apparently other things as well. You can rate us and review us. And we will see you next time on the Skeptic Squared Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. <laughs> Bye,